Dustin mentioned that we had a great uh, vacation Bible school. Indeed, we did. One of the persons, people, we should definitely thank for that are Mike and Linda Spita. And I'm sure they're in here somewhere. They're right back there. And they did a fantastic job. We mentioned this already last week, just how many hours they put in. And it didn't change during vacation Bible school. They put more hours in in the last week, uh, even than what they had done prior. They did a fantastic job before that, uh, but did a great job also this last week. Um, it, was, it was really wonderful to have them on board and to do the things they did. So Mike and Linda, thank you very much. It is one of the most famous, if not the most famous discussion about truth to ever take place in the history of the world. And it looks like this. Jesus says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate, and people have been debating for 2,000 years how it was that Pilate said this. Did he say, well, what is truth? Or did he say, what is truth? How did he say it? It's hard to say exactly what Pilate was saying. But there is no question about what Jesus was saying. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And the fact is, this is as large a challenge for Christianity in North America today as anything. This notion of disbelief about the things that we traditionally have believed as Christians. And it's not just outside the church, but it's even inside the church. Brothers and sisters of yours and mine no longer believe the things that they once did. And I would love to say that it's not that way. But it is that way. There are people sitting around you this morning who don't believe all the things that they used to believe, even about who Christ is. And so in many ways, it's now those who inside the church are at times asking the question, what is truth? And here are the kind of things that I mean. For example, God's responsibility for creation, the miracles of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, many of the moral teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Jesus has the exclusive final revelation of God to humanity, and then rejection of our Trinitarian God as Lord. All these things, every one of those is being challenged, and a whole lot more, but at least these things, for sure. I've heard people question these things. I've heard people as they're walking out the door, as they're leaving the church, saying, I don't believe these things anymore. And so I regard this as crucial, this series that we're doing. This is not a small problem. I was listening to a, a, a gentleman, uh, he, he works with a, a, group, a church planning group in the States called Kairos, uh, Stan Grandberg listening to a, a thing that he did this week, he was talking about the demise, basically, the demise of the church in North America. He was talking about how people are leaving left and right. And so much of that has to do not with how horrible the church is. We're not treating each other in some horrible way, but simply 
that people don't believe the things that they used to believe. And the fact is, Christianity has been defined by its teachings, or at least partially by its teachings. What are the things that we believe? And then what do you do when the people in the church stop believing the things that they used to believe? Because there are some, certainly, who do. And so I asked this question this morning. Is it appropriate or accurate for people to keep using for themselves the label Christian who no longer accept the central truths of our faith? Is that proper? Is that right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to be cheeky. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be controversial in terms of challenging people directly. I don't have some, some bad attitude here. How can you call yourself a Christian when you don't believe these things anymore? That's, that's not where I'm at this morning. I'm just asking the question. Like, it makes sense to me what, that we would ask this question. If belief in the correctness of the principles of socialism was abandoned by you and you became a defender of democracy, would it be accurate to still call you a socialist? I would say no. If, if you owned a Ford, if you owned one Ford and you sold it, would it be accurate to say, he's a Ford owner? I'd say no. You sold your Ford. If you lived in Alberta and you cheered for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, would you still call yourself an Al- Okay, there's some things the preacher shouldn't meddle in. I agree. Well, I don't know if you wrestle with some of these things, but I know that especially our young people do. Like maybe you think to yourself, well, Kelly, I haven't sacrificed any of those things. That, none of that's on my radar. I'm not in any way thinking about giving up these truths. There are some people, certainly young people, who've thought about these things. They're challenged all the time to give these things up. And so, if nothing else, I want to say something to the young people this morning about who Jesus is and about truth. I know what that's like. I can remember when I was 18 years old, standing in the foyer of the church at which I had become a Christian about three years before, standing in the foyer and saying to one of the elders, he and I were having a conversation, and it wasn't heated, we were just disagreeing. And I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm not in the same place that you are. It was, we were talking about doctrinal issue. And I was saying, you know, I'm not at the same place you are. You know, I just don't believe it exactly the way you do. You know, I'm not reading the Scripture exactly the way you are. Things aren't the same here. And so he was kind of on me about that. And I looked at him and I said, look. I said, I want you to know something. I am always going to pursue the truth. And it may be that I think you don't have it. But I th- and I think that I do when I look at the Scriptures. I'm going to pursue it that way. If I'm convinced that you have it, then that's where the truth lies, then that's where I'm going. Because I'm more concerned about the truth than whether or not I please you. I simply want to follow the truth. And he said to me, you know what? If you keep with that perspective, you're going to be okay. And he was right. I think that is the perspective that we have today. And so today I want to I talk about Jesus and the truth. And I, and I actually was thinking, this is right at the heart of this series. Like everything that we're talking about here in terms of uh, the notion of Jesus and these questions. 
So much of it really does come down to the notion of truth and whether or not Jesus is, in fact, the truth. Now, caveat. Like the existence of God or God being the creator and the originator of everything, I can't prove it. Like, I can't prove to you that God created everything. I think it's a very reasonable thing to think that God created everything. But I can't prove it. What I can do is put together a whole bunch of claims that Christianity believes and shows, the Bible shows these things, and I can say to you, here is some great evidence. And so I can't prove to you that Jesus is the truth. I can't prove it. I can't prove to you that everything that Jesus said, everything that came out of his mouth was truthful. I can't prove that to you. There's no way. Anybody who says, oh yeah, I can prove it. No, no, they they actually can't. There are 85 times, though, in the New Testament when Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Sometimes he says it emphatically especially in the Gospel of John. He will say, truly, truly, I say to you. So he says this truth thing twice throughout the Gospel of John. In a lot of the other Gospels, he simply says, hey, I'm telling you the truth here, and then he says something. Eighty-five times, Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. Now, it could be that he was lying. could be that he's just lying. could be that he's wrong. But Jesus says that he's telling the truth And you have to decide whether or not you believe it. Is he telling you the truth or is he not? I think he was, but I can't make that decision for you. I think there are great reasons for thinking that Jesus was telling the truth, but I can't make that decision for you. So we're going to look at some passages here quickly from the Gospel of John this morning. They're going to take us into this notion of Jesus and the truth. So look at John chapter 1. It's on page 750 in the Bibles that are underneath the seats. And I'm just going to look at Scripture. And I really want you to do this this morning. Like, sometimes I say, church, would you look at your Bibles, please? Turn to page 750 or look at John 1, 1. And sometimes I just get blank stares coming back at me. And nobody moves. You know, it's like when you say to everybody, come, let's all lift up from the back seat. Stand up from the back seats. And everybody move forward. Come on down. Sit up here and fill all these seats. And nobody moves. Okay? This morning, I want you to look at your Bibles, okay? John chapter 1, if you don't have your own Bible, it's on page 750 in the one underneath the seats, but oh, I hope you have your own, John chapter 1. And by the way, I've actually got this on the PowerPoint, a lot of people know this. What is the reference to the Gospel of John? People often say, the Gospel of John is the Gospel of you know what the next word is? Good try. He, he, John is known as the apostle of love, but this gospel is known as the gospel of belief. It's known as the gospel of belief. And that's because in John 20, verse 31, as the book's getting ready to close, it says, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Believing in him, you might find life. That's why this book was written. That's what it says. This book was written. These things are written so that we can say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing in him, we might have life in his name. That's why the book was written. So it's known as the gospel of belief. But it's interesting to me because if you're going to say John is the gospel of belief, what are you going to believe? 
And what I've found recently, and I've read the Gospel of John many, many times. I've read it in Greek numerous times. I went on a moose hunt one time. We, co- we couldn't find any moose, so I sat in my tent and read the Gospel of John in Greek, the whole thing, because I couldn't find any moose. There were probably moose running around. I couldn't find them. So I read Greek. I read John. This book, I've never seen this like I have in the last few days. This book is all about truth. Because that's what you believe. It is the gospel of belief. But it's also, and maybe even better, the gospel of truth. Because it communicates who Jesus is, and then we are asked to believe it. And so, it starts right in the beginning with a truth claim. This is how it starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is that? That's a truth claim. That's a truth claim. And then almost immediately, there is testimony to this. And so you go down just a few verses in John chapter 1. John the Baptist came as a witness to testify concerning that light. And look at the next part. So that through him you all might believe. There's a truth claim, and we're asked to believe that truth claim. So John is saying truth comes through Jesus Christ. And here is so much the point. We've already seen that. We've seen His glory, the glory of the only one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's a truth claim. Okay? The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here's the point. These are truth statements that are intended by John to be believed. Now, you could go through John chapter 1, and that's what you're going to see over and over and over again. The first 18 verses in the Gospel of John are called the prologue. It's a special, special part of Scripture. You read through the first 18 verses, and it's absolutely beautiful. The way that it depicts the truth about Jesus, and Jesus as the one who brings the truth. And then you read through the rest of that chapter, and it's all about John the Baptist actually testifying, bringing testimony to who Jesus is. And then here's a passage that you guys all know so well. Look at this. John chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. Very truly, or in other words, truly, truly, I tell you we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And so Jesus is looking at them and saying, I'm testifying. John's been testifying. There are a lot of truth claims here. You need to believe these things. And if you don't believe these things, how are you going to believe when I start talking about the real meat? So he wants them to believe the things that he says. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake of the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So the truth claims, and the truth about Jesus is where one finds eternal life. And then verse 16, you know this so well, but it's just a truth claim. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, believes this truth claim, in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What is that? That is a request for you to believe. John writes this, not so that you will just say, well, isn't that nice? He doesn't write this so that you can say, let me wrestle with the metaphorical meaning of all of this. 
He doesn't want you to just have some kind of existential experience. What Jesus wants, and as John records the words of Jesus and then commentates on it himself, is for us to believe the truth claim. And so you can doubt all you want about whether or not this is true. You have the right to do so. You can, you can stand up and say, Kelly, I don't believe a word you're saying. This just doesn't sound like the truth to me. You have every right to do that. But you can't say that Jesus didn't think it was true. Because he did. John thought it was true. You turn to the first chapter of 1 John, and John says, these are the things we've seen. These are the things that we heard. These are the things that we're proclaiming to you about this life that we saw and experienced. That's what John says. And when he tells us these things in his gospel, he's simply saying, I want you to believe what I believe. And so this is either true in a very literal way, or it's not. Either God sent His Son into the world to save the world. If we believe on Him, we'll find eternal life. Either God did that, or He didn't, it seems to me. And John is really clear. And not just in the first chapter, but certainly in the third and in a whole bunch of other places as well about these truth claims. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 8. And I, I wish we had the next hour to just spend in John chapter 8. If, if you've got nothing to do this afternoon, take your Bible home and just look at John chapter 8 and read it through and ask yourself the question. Keep asking yourself as you read John 8 this morning, what does this have to say about truth? And what does this have to say about Jesus? Because it is amazing what this says about Jesus. I want you to look at John chapter 8 and um, I've got to get there too now. John chapter 8, and I want us to look at verses 14 through 18. Because there are some truth claims here. And it's wonderful what Jesus says. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I've come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. And that is so much the problem when people start saying to me, I don't believe this stuff anymore. We've got people who are judging by human standards. We've looked in the last few weeks. We can't do that. Like, the universe is 46 billion light years across from here to the outside. That means on the other way, it's another 46 billion light years that direction. It's 93 light years, billion light years from side to side, and it's moving out very quickly. Now, I can't get that. I can't grasp that. My mind will not comprehend that. So if I can't get that, how in the world am I going to grasp the one who made it? How am I going to figure him out? We've already said the only way that's going to happen is if he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you. And that's what Jesus says we sometimes don't do. We use human reasoning. We have our own minds. We think we can solve all the problems with our own minds. He says, you have no idea where I've come from or where I'm going. 
You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with my Father, the one who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And so the Father is testifying to the truth about the Son, even as the Son is saying the things that He's saying about Himself. And here's the point. In John 8, 14 through 18, the truth of Jesus is said to depend on a direct, specific relationship that Jesus has to the Father. That's why He says it's true. He says, I've been there. You don't know what you're talking about. I do. Why do I know what I'm talking about? Because I have been there. Because I came from there. I know him. And the things that I'm speaking about to you, he says, are true because I've been there. Then look at verse 19. Then they ask him, where's your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And so knowing Jesus is absolutely crucial for getting it right about the Father. Even as understanding that the Father is with the Son is absolutely crucial to getting it right about the Son. And so you miss the Father if you miss the Son because the Son reveals the truth about the Father. There is special, direct connection with God that allows him to speak the truth and, in fact, to to speak what is ultimately true for humankind. He can say what is ultimately true for all of us, like no one has, because he was with the Father. By the way, people don't like it when I say that. People don't like it when you say, No, it's Jesus who tells us who the Father is and nobody else. They don't like that. They think that sounds arrogant. Those arrogant Christians, they think they're the only ones with the truth. Folks, all I'm saying is that this is what Jesus said. I'm simply believing something. He says, this is the way it is. And I'm saying, okay, I believe you. That's not arrogant of me. I couldn't begin to come to this truth on my own. I can't get there. I can't grasp the universe. I can't grasp God. I can't grasp truth. I can't grasp Jesus. But if Jesus says, this is who I am, I'm going to believe him. Because I think his answers were way better than mine. Now I want you to look down at verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Oh, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's how it works. Following the teaching of Jesus, he says in verse 31, leads to making you a disciple, which leads to allowing you to know the truth truth of Jesus, he says, will set you free. 
And so true freedom and all that that entails is directly connected to the truth that is Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. I'm not saying this. This isn't Kelly's thought. I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I've got this. Nobody else has this truth. I'm the only one. Got it myself. Follow me. I'm saying I'm simply believing what Jesus says about himself. I want you to notice verse 32. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then look at verse 36 and says what sets you free. And look and see what it says there in verse 36 about what sets you free. Do you see that? Notice in verse 32, the truth will set you free. In verse 36, what is it? The sun sets you free. Makes sense, doesn't it? If Jesus says, I am the truth, then in verse 32, it's going to say that we're set free by the truth. And in verse 36, it's going to say that the Son sets you free if He is indeed the truth, like He says He is. Both the truth and the Son set you free because the Son is the truth and the truth is the Son. Well, there's a lot of other things that we could look at here in John chapter 8. They're absolutely beautiful. If you look at verse 38, for example, and verse 40, you're going to find Jesus claiming that the grounds of his truthfulness lie in his connection and knowledge to the Father. We've already looked at that, but that's what he says. He said, the only reason I know truth is because I've been there. I have a connection with the Father. I'm connected to him and because I know the truth because the Father is the truth. It's no wonder that Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. It's no wonder he says, I am the true vine that has come down from heaven. Why does he say that? Because of his connection to the Father. He is actually the one who God knows and knows God. And because of that relationship, he's able to say that he's the truth. And and we won't have time to look at all of these, but in verse 34, in verse 38, in verse 40, in verse 45, in verse 46, in verse 51, and in verse 58, what is that? That's uh, seven times, just in this chapter alone, Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. That's what he says. I'm telling you the truth. Seven times in this chapter alone. And so his life, his teachings, his crucifixion, his resurrection, they all bear witness to who he was, and indeed, that is who he was. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says he tells the truth. He says that he reveals the truth. He says that he is the truth. So he both identifies what the truth is and identifies with the truth. He says the truth is found nowhere else. He says that the truth he offers opens up for us a relationship with God to the point where life and freedom can be found with God only through the truth that is in Jesus. And it's not me, it's him. He makes these claims. Either he's lying or he's deceived or something, but Jesus is making these claims. Maybe it's just the case that he's the truth. Now, I find all this incredibly encouraging. Incredibly encouraging. Because I want to know the truth. And that's exactly what we need. God created this way. We are, in fact, truth seekers. Our human minds are truth-oriented. When somebody tells us a lie, 
We don't like it. When we know ourselves that we're lying, we don't like that either. And so we want the truth. <laughs> Sound like Tom Cruise. I want the truth! Without apology, without apprehension, without exception. We don't want to live a lie. We don't want anybody around us to live a lie. So what do we do with this? What we think is the truth. Well, we believe it. We act on it. We defend it. We tell others about it. We build on it. We're changed by it. We use to make change with it. We protect others with it. We're protected by it. But here's the main thing that we do with the truth. Isn't this the case? The main thing we do with the truth is live by it. We orient our lives around what we think it is. If we don't, then there's all kinds of dysfunction within us, disjunction within us. But when we live by what we think is the truth, everything comes together. And so we want the truth in little things, like everybody wants to know what time our worship assembly really starts. We want to know the truth about the big things, about whether or not there's something supernatural that created all of this. And that's exactly what Jesus brought. And my contention is today that He's the truth, that He brought the truth, that He tells us the truth. And so I would say, Jesus is truth. I would say that Jesus tells us about truth and tells us what is true. I would say that He wants us to believe Him and to believe in Him. And I would say that He is either deceived or He is mentally ill or He is deceiving us intentionally by lying to us. Or He's telling us the truth. And that, that truth is the one in which we should believe. And so I don't know what you do with the truth claims of Jesus. You're going to have to do something with it. Because He very pointedly said, I am the truth. And He wants us to believe that. If you do, and you decide to live according to that truth, and I just said a moment ago, that's what keeps us functional. Your life cannot be the same if you believe that's true. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I believe with every ounce of my being that you are the truth. And sometimes, God, I, sometimes I don't live like you want me to live. Sometimes I'm as wrapped up in this world as everybody else is. Sometimes I'm distracted by all the things around me, and I'm not as devoted to you as the truth as I should be. I'd pray you'd forgive me for that. Help me, God, to be completely devoted to you as the truth. These claims you made 
are so clear. It's pretty easy to see that you want us to believe in you as the truth, the Son of God who came to save the world. Help us to believe that and help us to live in response the way you want us to live. We pray through Christ. Amen.